Would you just stand for a moment? We want to recognize you, and we'll just give you an applause. I'm guessing teaching is not an easy thing, but it is so important. And thank you so much, whether you serve in the public schools or preschools or in our Adventist institutions, we are grateful and you make a difference and have made a difference. So thank you so much for that. Sherry was right. Tonight is an, uh, an awesome event. I love watching people who can do gymnastics do it. It makes me feel a little bad about myself for not being talented in that way, but I enjoy watching those who are talented. Uh, although I told the students uh, the other day, Thursday at CBCA, that I've been working on uh, a difficult gymnastics move, uh, the upside-down handstand, which I will demonstrate for you at this time. Yeah. There's, there's a one-armed version, um, but I'll save that for another time. So we're looking forward to Thursday night and Friday night here uh, in the youth chapel. No prayer meeting this week. We're moving our prayer service to Thursday night. And it's going to be just an awesome three-event little revival series um, sharing what God has done in our lives. And I believe God's going to do some special things in all of our lives. Thursday night, Friday night, youth chapel. So there was a man who decided he had had enough of the world and he wanted to move as far away from worldly influences as possible. So he decided to join a monastery and become a monk. He didn't just choose your ordinary run-of-the-mill monastery. He wanted to go to the extreme ones where he was most separated from the world as possible. No more cell phone calls, no more credit card companies after him, no more uh, distractions from the media, from all sorts of things going on in the world. So he goes to the monastery and they say there's a 15-year introductory period. 15 years. And this monastery, we don't even talk in the introductory period. You get two words every five years. That's all you can do. And so he said, sign me up. So he started his work, and for five long years, he said nothing to anybody. And then he comes in for his five-year review, partway through his introductory 15-year, and the supervisor says, how's it going? And he said, bad food. And said, sorry to hear that, but thank you for your feedback. Well, five more years go by. No sounds come out of his mouth, not even in his private room by himself, just alone in his thoughts, trying to be separate from the world. And at the end of another five years, which was now ten years total, he goes back into the supervisor for his two-thirds of the way through the introductory period review, and the supervisor says, how's it going for you? And he said, bed hard. Hmm. The man was a little disgruntled, but he wrote that down. Well, finally, at the end of the 15 years, he comes in, and this is the opportunity where he could now fully and officially join the monastery, and the man says, how's it going? And the gentleman said, two more words, I quit. And the supervisor says, well, I'm not surprised. You've just been complaining ever since you first got here. 
So today we're talking about how a Christian should relate to the world. And in the gospel, well, the, the, the epistle of John, he has some very pointed words for how we should relate, but we'll find there are, there are a couple of ditches that one can fall into. And hopefully we don't fall into either one of them. So open up your Bible to 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 12. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 12. Before we get into his comments about the world, we first talk about um, partly John's motivation for writing this letter and the people whom he's writing the letter to. And scholars aren't exactly sure how this ties in and how it fits, but it's here nonetheless, and it has some encouraging words for us. There are three groups of people addressed in verses 12, 13, and 14. John talks to little children, he talks to young men, uh, and he also talks to fathers. And scholars are split on how to, to interpret these. Some say it's literally literal, little kids, and then young men, and then old men he's talking to. Others say, no, 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 no. We're talking about spiritual maturity levels. Those that are new to the faith, those that have been around for a little while, and those who are mature in the faith. And others say, no, I don't see it that way. I see these as all being terms that refer to all the believers. And actually, if you look at John 2.28, 1 John 2.28, he certainly does use the term little children or children to refer to all the believers. So there's a good point to be made for that argument. He says, and now little children abide in him. He wasn't just telling the kids to abide in Jesus. He's talking to every believer. And you see that in other places in John's writings. In any case, there's a message for us no matter who you are in the church. And we start in verse 12. I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. Isn't it good to know that your sins are forgiven? Amen. The Greek here refers to a past event with ongoing uh, effects. We've been forgiven in the, in the past, and our forgiveness is ongoing and continual. If you confessed your sins in the past, those sins are forgiven, and they are continuing to be forgiven. But yet we sometimes dredge up the past. Uh, they've been forgiven. We can leave them there for his name's sake, because of who God is. Verse 13, I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. Probably these people weren't eyewitnesses of God, of Jesus, but they had known Jesus in the same way it's possible for us to know Jesus. Paul says in, in his letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy, I know whom I have believed. And John's writing to these believers and he's saying, you know who you're believing in. The one who's been around from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. God calls us to be overcomers, and he gives us the power to overcome. Not only the external attacks of the enemy, but the internal ones. You know, they say the greatest danger is not some external enemy, but rather the internal inner me. I'm more afraid of my own self than I am of Satan, because I know the choices that, that I make. The devil can't force me to sin. I choose. 
And so, in that regard, God is calling us all to be overcomers of the wicked one. He continues, I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. Little children here is a different word from the one used previously in verse 12, but it appears to be talking to everybody again. And you'll find, actually, in different places in the Bible, it seems like it's just talking to, like at face value, oh, it's talking only to little kids. But then you look at verse 28, and you see, oh, he seems to use little children as a phrase to talk about everybody. Uh, and there are other places where it seems like the Bible's only talking to men. But then you realize, oh, wait, it's actually talking about everybody here. Uh, a good example of this is in the Ten Commandments, right? The Tenth Command which says, you shall not covet. And who are we not to covet? Our neighbor's wife. So the ladies are like, aha! I can covet my neighbor's husband. Uh, and, and sometimes we have that approach. We think, aha, a plain reading of the, of the verse is going to read exactly what the author intended. But then we read the 10th commandment and we realize, oh wait, I don't think God intended us Men only to avoid coveting our neighbor's wife. I think God intended all of us not to covet another person's spouse. Amen? Amen. So we need to be careful as we read the Bible. And we need to realize that sometimes there is greater inclusion in the text than what we thought originally just by looking at it um, without carefully studying into it. Now verse 14. I have written to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. A repetition of what he said earlier. He's repeating it because it's important. We need to know the one whom we believe in. Not just a casual knowledge, but a knowledge as we saw last time, a knowledge that leads us to want to obey him, want to follow him, and want to love one another. I have written to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you. What does David say in Psalm 119? How can a young man keep his way pure? By taking heed according to your word. Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. If we want to be strong as young men, as young women, as other people, adults, children, we need to have the word of God in us. We need to have God's word filling our lives Ephesians 6.10 says that we are strong in the power of his might. We're not strong in our own strength. He also says, and you have overcome the wicked one. The seminar we're doing Thursday night, Friday night, and, and next Sabbath morning, his blood, my story. Revelation 12 says we overcome by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. So having kind of given us this little interlude, why he's writing, who he's writing to, to everybody, we now get to verse 15, and we see these words. Do not love the what? The world. Or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And, and maybe some of us are a little confused, because... Doesn't John write in the Gospel of John, John 3.16, for God so loved the what? And now he's saying, don't love the world. And again, if we didn't do any sort of interpretation, 
we would be confused. We would say John is just talking out of both sides of his mouth. So what does it mean to love the world? And, and, and what is the world in this context? You know, John uses the term world, cosmos, over a hundred times, more than any other biblical writer. But I think as we'll, we'll see here very clearly, the world as he's using it, the world that we're not supposed to love, represents the attitudes and the values that disregard God or are blatantly against God. The attitudes, the values that are disregarding God in our world or are blatantly against God. That's what we're not supposed to love. As far as our planet, of course we're supposed to love our planet. You know, we're not supposed to go burn tires and, and burn down the forests and trash this place. No, God made it. Let's take care of it. And, and the people on it, we're supposed to love the people in this world. We've seen that already in this letter. But when it comes to the attitudes and the actions that disregard God or are opposing God, those are the things that we're not supposed to love. Jesus said in John 12 that Satan is the ruler of this world currently. And it shouldn't surprise us that the things that are going on in our world overall, uh, there is a lot of bad. And we shouldn't be surprised that, that there are things going on in our world that's trying to destroy our spirituality. It's trying to wreck our families. It's trying to ruin our faith. So John says, don't love the world or the things of the world. We could summarize kind of the things of the world in four words. Fortune, fame, power, and pleasure. Those are the things that a lot of the world seeks after. Fortune, fame, power, pleasure. But we could even summarize the attitudes of the world even more simply in two words. Get, get. The world says, get, get, I've got to get this, I've got to get that. That's that selfish attitude. Lucifer wanted to get God's throne. He wanted to get God's glory. But the attitude of Christ and the attitude of a Christian is just the opposite. It's give, give. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave. So don't love the world and its attitude of get, get. Because we're called to be people who give, give, just like God has given and continues to give. We love the world through our time. We love it through our attention. We love it through the way we spend our money. And maybe today would be a good opportunity for you to kind of do, or this week, an, an audit of yourself. How do I use my time during this week, during an average week? How do I use my talent? How do I use my attention? How do I use my treasure? Or what do I spend my money on, my resources on? And this would be a really practical thing to write down the amount of time you spend on this or that, the amount of time I spend on this or that. It might reveal some things about where our treasure is, about who we love, about what we're loving. Got to read you this quote. Have you heard of a guy named Spurgeon, C.H. Spurgeon? He was a preacher a long time ago. And he, you can read his sermons online, but they are just powerful. I mean, he did not hold anything back. Listen to this one 
sentence, well, a couple sentences here about loving the world. He said, if I had a brother who had been murdered, would you think of me, how would you think of me, if I daily consorted, if I daily talked out, hung out with the assassin who drove the dagger into my brother's heart? My brother was murdered. What would you think about me if I daily hung out with a guy that killed my brother and we, we talked and we enjoyed spending time together? He said, surely you'd think that I too must be an accomplice of the crime. Sin murdered Christ. Will you be a friend to it? Sin pierced the heart of the incarnate God. Can you love it? Some powerful words. When we love the world, the attitudes, the sinful practices of the world, we're loving the thing that put Jesus on the cross, that pained the Father's heart in giving the Son. Powerful things to think about. So then we go to verse 16. Well, what's in the world? John defines it. He says, for all that is in the world, and then he lists three things. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. Three things. The lust of the flesh. You know, God put certain desires in our life. He gave us desire for food, which is a good desire. But that same desire, that same lust, can lead people to eat way too much, and then become unhealthy, or eat the wrong things, and then have health challenges, or lead to gluttony, which the Bible says is a sin. I have to check myself at potluck. <laughs> Gotta go easy, right? So there's the lust of the flesh, the things that our body longs after. God put sexual desires in humanity, and they're intended for good, for very good. When the, within the right context, they're great, they're blessed. But outside of that, it leads to just heartbreak and all sorts of problems in our lives. Beware the lust of the flesh. And he continues, the lust of the eyes, the things we get mental um, stimulation from the things that we look at, uh, in addition to, to our other senses. And maybe we see that car driving down the road and we say, ah, I have to have that. The lust of the eyes can lead to the sin of covetousness. Or, in some cases, the sin of theft, and so forth. Um, the lust of the eyes, oh, if I could just have that. And that could lead to pride, that can lead to all sorts of things. Of course, we know visually uh, that can lead to the lust in our hearts. Jesus talked about sexual sin and how, how adultery is not just physical thing, it can also be something that happens even just visually and in our hearts. We have to be so careful. We've got to guard ourselves against that. And in our age, it's so easy to view things on our phones and on our computers that leads us down a vortex of sin and lust and all sorts of things. Parents, do you have a way to protect your kids from these dangers on the internet, on their phones? Adults, do we have a way to protect ourselves uh, against pornography and all the other things that go along with that? I tell you, for me, I use a program on my phone. It covers my phone. It covers my laptop. It's called Covenant Eyes. And it's a really good way to guard yourself against the evil influences out there. 
Internet can be a powerful tool for good, but it can also be a powerful tool to suck us down a path that Satan, doesn't want to, that Satan wants us to go on and that Jesus is trying to save us from. Um, we should talk more about these things. Uh, but if you have questions, you can talk to me about anything. So we've got the lust of the flesh, we've got the lust of the eyes, and then the last one, the pride of life, sometimes a little more subtle. We may not even have anything external that's going on, but in our hearts, that pride is eating us from within. So dangerous. It can happen in church. It can happen in, in our work. It can happen in our home. It can happen in our prayers. God, I thank you that I'm not like them. Oops. But these are serious issues. And it's interesting because these three things, basically any sin pretty much fits into one of these three categories. The sinful desires of your body, the sinful desires of your eyes and in your mind, and the sinful desires of pride. And most of them are used to advertise to us on commercials, right? You know, you just look at, at any random commercial, whether it's a beer commercial or this or that, they're typically trying to make their product look appealing to you, to, to draw your flesh. They're trying to make it look uh, stimulating to you, and often they do that through sexualizing people and situations, and they often try and make you think, boy, if I could have that, boy, then I would really be somewhere in life. Very interesting. We've got to filter the things and analyze the things that we see. What's, what's being done to me right now? Uh, you know, I was just talking to somebody, we were talking about how a lot of old commercials for children's cereal involves stealing. Uh, we were just listing off, oh yeah, yeah, this, this brand here, yeah, that's true, they do steal the, uh, the cereal from the other guy. And it was very interesting. I'd never thought about it until we had a discussion. But the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, it's everywhere. And it's what Eve fell into. She saw the fruit it looked good for food. She thought, hey, that looks good. I want to eat that, lust of the flesh. It was pleasing to her eyes. Lust of the eyes. Her eyes lusted after it. And it was desirable, the text says, to make her wise. I want to be wise. That pride started building in her heart. The same way that Eve fell. Jesus was tempted, but praise God, didn't fall. What was the first temptation? Turn the stone to what? to bread. He was hungry. And there's nothing wrong with eating when you're hungry. Um, but if he had given in to his flesh, he would have sinned in the process in that context. And then the devil took him up to a high mountain, right? He said, look. And what was he looking out at? He was looking at all the cities of the world, all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. Jesus, look at all that. Just bow down and you can have it all. Lust of the eyes leading to that temptation. And finally, then he was on the wall there. Satan said, just jump off, right? God will pick you up. God will catch you. Won't that be awesome, Jesus? Wouldn't that be cool? I jump off and, and then angels catch me. Pride of life. These three categories were Adam and Eve fell, Jesus was successful. Amen? Amen? So John says, these are the things that are in the world. we got to be careful about these things. 
We've got to be so careful. They don't come from the Father, but they come from the world. You know, when we talk about this subject, I mentioned that there are kind of two ditches that you could fall into. The one ditch is where we say, whoa, the world and everything in it is bad, so I'm going to go live in my little hermit cave, and nobody is going to see me, nobody's going to talk to me, I'm just going to be pure and protected in here. And the only problem with this, well, there are a lot of problems, but one problem is, can I witness to anyone while I'm in here? No. I can't. Oh, can you hear my microphone? Okay. And the other problem is you couldn't hear me. So there are a lot of problems with that because we are called to be the salt of the earth, right? And just because something is in our society doesn't mean it's necessarily bad. Are there good movies in our world? Absolutely. We watched a good movie uh, last weekend. Are there good songs that are being produced in our world today? Absolutely. Are there good books? Are there good events that happen in public venues? Sure. Does the gallo have good events that happen there? Absolutely. So if we shun everything, we're missing out an opportunity to be the disciple makers that Jesus has called us to be. Uh, but on the other hand, if we just say, ah, well, it's no big deal, and we just fill our lives with everything, that's just going to take us down a slippery slope, and we may no longer desire God at all. Certainly, we never want to compromise biblical principles, right? If the Bible says don't do it, don't do it. <laughs> or if it says do it, we should do it. But we need to find a way to live in balance between living in a hole in the ground and going the way of just all the sinful things of the world. We need to live pure lives, but look for the good and be the good in our world. I read something that, that really kind of helped bring this in balance for me. It was by another commentator. He says, worldliness is not so much an activity as an attitude. It not only affects your response to the love of God, it also affects your response to the will of God. Doing the will of God is a joy for those living in the love of God. If you love me, keep my commandments. But when a believer loses his enjoyment in the Father's love, he finds it harder to obey the Father's will. When you put these two factors together, you have a practical definition of worldliness. And he says this, anything in a Christian's life that causes him or her to lose their enjoyment of the Father's love or their desire to do the Father's will is worldly and must be avoided. So we could flip it and say the opposite. Stay in the Father's love and stay in the Father's will and you'll be okay in the world. Enjoy being loved by God and loving him. Enjoy doing the will of God. Jesus mingled with people so that he could spread the love and the truth of God. But he wasn't tainted by the corruption that was all around him. Enjoy the love and enjoy the will. And that will keep us from the dangers of the world. And we close out with verse 17. 
Another reason, a final reason for being careful about the things in the world. He says, and the world is passing away. What does that mean? It means it's not going to last forever. It's all going away someday. If you were going to invest for, let's say, your retirement, and you knew one company or one 401k or one retirement plan was going to crash and burn in five years, and all your money would be lost, but then another one would actually last and build and grow over time, and you'd be able to retire. Which one would you choose? It almost is so obvious it doesn't need, like, come on, duh, the, the second one. Why then do we invest in the things of the world that will pass away? Why are we so drawn to the things that are going to pass away? I think we need to think about it in as rational a way as we can and then just make a decision, even though our hearts are drawn to the world. And I'm not saying you guys are the world over here and you're... This <laughs> is the way it's been going. Even if we're drawn to it, let's make the rational, logical choice and say, Jesus, I see what your word says. And I want to follow you, even if my desires are warring against that choice. But in a lot of cases, your desires start to change as you spend more time with Jesus. Amen? You start to desire different things and enjoy different things. So the world's passing away in the lust of it, but whoever does the will of God abides for how long? Forever. I want to abide forever. How about you? I want to I want to abide in the love and the will of my Father and love the world in the way that God loves the world. Is that your desire? Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you so much for your love, uh, just amazing love, that has the power to save us and transform us. I pray you'll help us to figure out the tricky tightrope of living in the world but not being of it. Lord, give us a courage to even look at our own lives and, and analyze how we spend our time, how we spend our resources, what we put our affection on. And, and Lord, may your love just draw us ever more towards you and to the things that you care about and the things that will last forever. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.